Courtside Club is presented for the people by Caesar Sportsbook. You bet you get with Caesar's Rewards. Must be 21 or older. The UCLA's 95 championship game against Arkansas actually had a piece of the net. Had it in my wallet, like while it ended up getting stolen, and I'll never forgive the person who stole oh, it. Oh no! Wait spent a the second. rest of my life trying to hunt them down. <laughs> if you have that piece of net, hope you're taking care of it. And if I find you, it's gonna be some Liam Neeson and Taken type of interactions going on. What's up, you guys? I'm Rachel Demita, and welcome to the Courtside Club. Today, I'm joined by producer, host of No Chill with Gilbert Arenas, and the king of NBA Twitter, Josiah Johnson. Josiah, welcome to the Courtside Club. I appreciate you for giving me access. Of course. We appreciate you for taking the time today. I know that you are a busy man. You have your hand in a lot of different pots, but I feel like our Courtside Club audience might be most familiar with you from your Twitter presence. So. I got to ask, how are we liking Elon's Twitter? Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep my mouth shut because I want to, you know, he's been doing a lot of packing up lately. Uh, it seems like, you know, he's a big fan of freedom of speech, unless that speech is freely directed at him. And, you know, next thing you know, people turn up missing or fired or, you know, get that email from Twitter that their account's been booted. So uh, I'm just going to go ahead and say I love it. Elon's doing a great job. Yay. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> It's, it's interesting. It's crazy to see in the, just the past couple of weeks, all the changes that have been made. Obviously, I have a, a, a great relationship with all the people that work at Twitter, have a lot of friends who have lost their jobs in the last couple of weeks. So just praying for them and hoping they, they can figure it out and, you know, keep being just the talented, amazing people that they are and go on to new, new and improved ventures. But I'm not gonna lie. I'm definitely concerned. I think with the direction that it's going, obviously, uh, the influx of a lot of negativity. Uh, toxic accounts, uh, a lot of use, uh, you know, I think like the N word jumped like 500% within like the first couple of days of him taking over. So, and I'm seeing a lot of that as well. You know, I've, I've been on Twitter for the last six, seven years, and this is probably the weirdest, you know, point, and that's including the pandemic and all the other things that have gone on. Elon's not what made Twitter great, obviously. You know, I think the people in the community and all the, the great and talented voices and all the opportunity that it's created is what made uh, Twitter great. So hopefully those people will continue to shine and continue to build and, you know, a lot of people are saying, I'm going here, I'm going there. I'm going to be real with you. I try to look at some of those other apps. Uh, I'm an old man now. They were a little too much for me. I'm just used <laughs> to Twitter. I'm not, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. So I'm, I'm sticking around on Twitter really just for the jokes and uh, to see how this thing plays out. That's interesting to to hear you say that the negativity has gone up because I feel like social media in general, like we've seen that peak of, of what it could become. And it's, it's funny when, when Twitter started, I kind of liked the weird kind of train of thought tweets that we would just throw out there. Like, Hey, I'm drinking a coffee right now, or here's the song that I like. What era of Twitter did you enjoy the most? Um, I definitely think for me, uh, probably pandemic time, just from the standpoint of obviously it was a downtime in life. Everybody was going through a lot of negativity, a lot of just crazy things going on in the world. Everybody was locked up at home, but I think we all found a way to come together as a community, entertain ourselves, uh, you know, let the jokes fly. So really, even for me and my account, no matter what was going on in the world at that time, everybody rallied together and, you know, had each other's backs for the most part. And uh, was just coming together as a community to, to get the jokes off, be funny and entertain each other through a really difficult, dark time in our country's history. Yeah. You touched on how there was a time in Twitter where your favorite celebrity or athlete would see your tweet or respond and you kind of had that interaction. Do you remember what that first interaction was like for you where you were like, oh, like <laughs> they saw my tweet or they replied? 
honestly, funnily enough, I had a show on Comedy Central called Under the Chamberlain Heights. Uh, I think we had made like a like a, a Pimp C, not a joke, but show Pimp C some love in the episode. Paul Wall, uh, who was a, you know, a favorite of mine from his, his old school days, was still tipping with Mike Jones and Slim Thug, who's already a legend in my mind, but ended up seeing it. We connected with each other, you know, had a couple phone calls. So to be able to connect with Paul Wall was probably the biggest moment. Obviously, he's an Astros fan. I'm a Dodgers fan. So it's a little tough now, a little difficult. <laughs> You know, all things considered, but, you know, super happy for him uh, that the Astros won so he could get some more bangers out there and, and keep making bags. <laughs> We've had a lot of, of storylines in sports over this past year. There's been a lot of drama, you know, for good or bad. Some people enjoy it because it adds a level of entertainment. For me, it's tough because like, I want to root for the players and the teams and I don't love all the drama surrounding it. But has there been one storyline this year in the NFL, in the NBA, MLB, that you've been most uh, interested in and have really followed? I mean, two things. Probably NFL, just Tom Brady, obviously all situations on and off the field. Uh, him being, what, like 45 now. Is he cooked? Uh, are the Buccaneers cooked? And then definitely NBA. I'm a LeBron guy, so this situation going on with the Lakers. And, you know, after last year, I think there was some hope and optimism that the franchise would steer back in the right direction been a little bit tough this year with LeBron missing games with uh I don't even know what it was the quad or, or the abductor or whatever whatever he's got going on right now but you know LeBron in year 20 I think all the major things he's done four-time NBA champ four-time finals MVP four-times regular season MVP and you'd want him to go out you know in the right direction and go out on a good note or is it going to be a lot like last year but even worse than last year which is uh, extremely concerning is there something that they can do? We've heard a lot of people speaking out about, you got to move somebody. You know, Stephen A says, get rid of LeBron. Um, we, we already have Westbrook coming off the bench, which I heard in one of your guys' episodes, you're going on and on about. What do you think could be done to, to keep this optimism with this Lakers team? Uh, first thing, make shots. I mean, I think they're playing at a super high level defensively. Darvin Ham has brought a new attitude, new look to this team. I'm a big Westbrook guy. I'm a UCLA guy. Not necessarily the biggest fan of him coming off the bench, but also you have to acknowledge that LeBron and Russ on the court together is a little difficult. They're both ball-dominant guards that, that need to run the offense through them. So I think Russ kind of being that spark now, the sixth man, there's been some flashes, uh, some some good things that have happened. But really, I think the most important thing is just the squad to stay healthy. Uh, had the situations last year with LeBron and AD being hurt. LeBron being hurt now. AD said he wanted to play all 82 games. I think very early on in the season, he missed a game with the back issue. And you could just see at times that that his back didn't look right. But I think since LeBron's been out, AD's really stepped up to the play, stepped up to the challenge, been having some great games. But I think the whole NBA landscape just across the board, when you look at teams like the Warriors and the struggles that they've had with that whole crew, you know, Steph playing at a, a level better than his, you know, unanimous MVP level and them still not, you know, not having a winning record, yeah. uh, looking at the Nets and the situations going on with obviously KD, Kyrie, his whole, his whole deal, but it's just been fascinating to see a lot of teams that you expected to be performing at a higher level. Haven't been, you got teams like the Jazz who've been bright spots and have been, you know, over delivering, you know, in the beginning of the season, they were going to be in the Wimby sweepstakes. Now, you know, it looks very likely that they're going to wind up in the playoffs and kind of trick off that Wimby bag. But I think at the end of the day, Warriors get to the playoffs. They're going to be a problem for whoever they face. Kind of remind me at this point, uh, you know, that Lakers squad in, in 21, when uh, they were, uh, you know, playing the, I think the seventh seed, playing the Suns, and we're getting ready to go up 3-1, then AD got hurt. But just from the standpoint of, you know, once they got to the playoff level basketball, 
barring any injuries or unforeseen, unfortunate events, that they can still make some noise and do some things. I want to ask, though, are we entering a new era of the NBA? Because you, you've you been watching this for a while. Obviously, we have a lot of superstars that we've been talking about for a long time. I actually host a show with the NBA called The Rising Stars Report. So we're following the rookies and sophomores in the league and then the up and coming 2023 draft class. And some of these guys even coming in, they're, they're having their NBA debut with like a 27 point game. You know, we have some superstars coming up. And like you said, the Warriors, Steph can go off for 30 and they can still lose. AD can go for 37 when LeBron is not playing, but they still don't look like a complete team. So are we coming into this new era? And for you, what players or teams do you kind of have your eye on? It's tough because, again, being as, as old and washed as I am now, I've seen so many different eras, and it's always crazy. You know, I think about Jordan's era, you know, in the, the early 2000s when he was with the Wizards but kind of putting that finality on his career and now paving the way for guys like LeBron, CP3, Durant to pave the way for guys like Steph and, and just this new future. But I think when you look around the league, you know, guys like Luka Doncic, uh, guys like John Morant, Joker, obviously still doing what he's doing. Giannis, of course, it's, it's fascinating to see, but it's great to see that the league's going to be in good hands. And, and me, I'm an I'm a L.A. guy. I'm a big LaMelo ball fan. Uh, you know, I've been rocking with LaMelo since he was like 12, 13 years old. And just you could you could see even then, you know, his dad, LeVar, I don't think gets enough credit for just the stuff that he was doing. I think LaMelo skipped the eighth grade to join, you know, his brothers at Chino Hills and that squad being number one in the country going undefeated. But what he was doing as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, you know, puffy face with the gap tooth and just, you know, little kid out there balling with varsity players. I don't think people really had a lot of respect for that. Then the whole, you know, the, the untraditional route to the NBA with Lithuania then going to play in the NBL. And all that stuff. And I remember having conversations with my guys. You know, we have the, the UCLA group chat with all the former guys in there. And it was kind of 50-50. A lot of guys were like, yo, you know, LeVar deprived him of that that high school experience, getting to play in the McDonald's All-American game, getting to do all that stuff that, you know, as a traditional high schooler you get to do. And then the other half was like, yo, this is such a modern, different game now that him sending them overseas and putting them in those situations where he's playing with 30-year-old men, I think just helped prepare him for what life in the NBA was going to be like. And you look at players like Luca who followed a similar trajectory, playing pro since he was 16 years old. And just to be real, I mean, as American Hoopers, we feel like we've had this stronghold, you know, ever since the Dream Team in 92. But that stuff has started to dwindle. I just uh, watched the Redeem Team doc on Netflix. And it's hard to even remember or imagine a time when, you know, America wasn't this top dog in the scope of international basketball. And you look around the league now and who the top players in the league are, and it's a heavy, heavy international influence. So I think the rest of the world has put us all on notice that we got to get our stuff right, get back in the gym, put the work that needs to be put in. Because, you know, we've got a ton of, of homegrown American talent that's performing well in the NBA. But nowadays, you look at the Embiid's, the Jokers, the Lucas, the Giannis, all these, these, these names, like it, it's definitely, you know, I think Giannis did an interview the other day, assembled kind of his, his uh, international team versus the uh, American team. And, you know, there's a good chance that American team gets cooked. So, <laughs> Okay, I'm not sure if you are familiar with the Courtside Club. We do like to take a halftime break if you're down. I'm down. As long as you guys have some, like, Gatorade and some, some fruit slices and all that good stuff so I can replenish, I'm down to do it. Okay, well, I will Postmates you some some Gatorade and some snacks. But in the meantime, I have some superlatives that I would like you to award to different NBA players. Okay. You've been in the mix for a long time. You've seen the highlights. You've seen the games. You know these guys' personalities, their social media presence. So I feel like you'll be really good at this. 
I hope so. First up, we have the best dressed. Ooh, best dressed. I'm going to go a little off kilter here. I'm going to go Kyle Kuzma just because he's willing to take the risk. I mean, I think about the pink sweater. Definitely some options and some choices I don't necessarily agree with. But Kuz's fashion sense is elite. I mean, his time in L.A., he was he really stepped up to the challenge. I think some guys come to the Lakers and they don't understand the magnitude of what it means to be in Los Angeles and just how your swag needs to be. But I think Kuz, Kuz built that in L.A. Now he's taking it on to D.C. with the Wizards. But, you know, and not to say every fit is, a, you know, 10 for 10, but I think he does a great job, unique fashion sense, and really testing the limits and, and going out there and really kind of showing what this next wave of NBA fashion should be. He knows how to get us to talk about him, that's for exactly. sure. <laughs> okay, so who's the life of the party? Ooh, life of the party. I'm going to go Giannis just because I think he's such as a – you know, my dad works with Milwaukee Bucks, and he's been a, been a big Giannis fan for a long time. But Giannis, he just looks so happy to be playing basketball. And obviously, if you re- read his book by Marin Fader and just all the stuff he dealt with in his life and watch the Rise movie on Disney, all the things and just the trials and tribulations that he dealt with, you can just see somebody who's genuinely happy to be in the NBA, to be playing basketball. You know, he was in Milwaukee, and I'm going to be honest, Milwaukee's a cold city. You're from the Midwest, you know. When you get the opportunity to go to nicer, warmer places, you generally take that. But I think he was just, you know, so in love with the Bucks and the city and what that they meant to him and how much they embraced him that he ended up staying. So I think a guy like that, he'd be the life of the party, be fun to hang out with. You know, you know, he gets turned up. You know, you saw it after they won the championship, how hard he was going. And, you know, his brothers would be a good time, too. And I'm sure just the inside jokes they have and, you know, how funny they are. And, they, you know, if you're hanging out with them, they'll start speaking Speaking Greek and, you know, you won't know what's going on, but, you know, they'll still make you crack up. He's also sneakily good at social media or at least saying the right things to get yeah. those clips. Like some of those clips are hilarious. I was like, I didn't realize you were this funny. OK, next up, we have Biggest Flirt. Ooh, Biggest Flirt. I don't know. I'm, I'll probably go Devin Booker, but just just because, you know, his hit, hit ratio is very, very high and just the, the level and quality that he's able to ascertain with his mouthpiece. Uh, I think he'd, he'd be good good at the flirt game. Or LaMelo too, probably. I'm sure if LaMelo, you know, LaMelo starts flirting. I think there's different levels, right? Devin Booker seems to be like the quiet type and LaMelo yeah. is just one that will, will say whatever it takes. <laughs> All right, so who's the class clown? Uh, Embiid, I think, you know, Embiid, Troel Embiid. Uh, I think about after the Ben Simmons move happened. And just, uh, you know, him posting one of my favorite memes, the photo of the kid at the funeral, uh, at his biggest haters funeral. You know, Embiid just has great timing. He's hilarious. He, he's got the comedy down pat. And, you know, he just, he, he's, he's merciless. So in this troll game, in this comedy game, you have to, you know, be out of pocket at times. And I think he definitely lives up to that challenge. Now we have cutest couple. But think about, like, a pair on the court. Cutest couple... Probably, I'd say uh, Ja and Desmond Bain. I think just that crew in Memphis and what they've been able to do, how they don't fear anybody, you know, them going at the Warriors last year, even though they took the L. But, you know, those are the guys, you know, that I feel like they just ride for each other so much. I think we saw with Ja's interview recently after the game where everybody's hitting the Antonio Brown after after the win. But you like to see that whole team, you know, rocks with each other. And I think that's something, too, that was, you know, in those Warriors years. Now those guys are a little bit older. But you got a squad where everybody really wants to ride and roll with each other. So I think those two are really a reflection of, of Memphis Grizzlies and the hustle and the grind and everything they got going on. But that seems like a team that I, w- I would really love to play for. 
Yeah, super fun team. Most changed. Ooh, probably Ben Simmons, honestly. Most changed. I think when Ben came in the league, and he's dealing with a lot of issues and stuff going on right now, but uh, when he came to the league, he was an offensive threat and obviously defensive specialist. In, 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 but just seeing over the past couple of years, the game has changed. So I think I hope he can get it changed back to the level that it could be at and it should be at. And I'm optimistic with him. I think a lot of people have kind of written him off, but he's still young. Uh, he's still growing and developing as an NBA player. You know, the situation in Philly, but now getting a, a new opportunity in Brooklyn. So I hope this will be his ability. He changed going from Philly to Brooklyn, but hopefully now Brooklyn, he can change back and be the player that we, we know he all can be. It's interesting with social media, how quickly people can love you one day, hate you the next, have so many good things to say about you. And then it's just the tides completely turn. And, and I think with him, we don't know the whole story. And that's kind of the approach I take to a lot of these NBA players with how they're playing. Like we don't know everything. You know, um, but to see so many people be like, oh, he sucks, he's done, he'll whatever. He also had back surgery, supposedly. You know, we don't know. But are you one of those people that is kind of optimistic about his future? Well, I'm optimistic about anybody that's in the NBA. And to your point, I see a lot of people out there that'll be like, oh, this guy sucks, this guy sucks. It's always the people that suck that are trying to tell you that somebody else sucks. And I think this is what social media has created. It's a lot of it's a world where a lot of people puff their chests out despite never playing basketball at a competitive level. You know, we're great at being on the couch and, and knowing everything that's going on. Everybody's great at calling players from the couch, but when you really gotta live that life, it's a completely different thing. Yeah. I agree. Okay, last but not least, our superlatives. We have most likely to succeed. I'm gonna go Luca because I think from a very and, you know, people used to get mad at me when I pointed this out, but it's like Luca's been playing pro since he's sixteen. He's been playing at a high level since he was 18. So him coming to the NBA, you know, it's a different situation than guys who go to college or, you know, try the G League or overtime leader and these type of things. He was playing against grown-ass men at a very, you know, early age in his life. So he had to get toughened and hardened. And just to see him on the court, I love Luca because I feel like our bodies are comparable. Like he doesn't have that just, you know, like athletic physique, but the stuff he does on the court is so amazing and incredible that – you know, I got to give it to Luca. I think he's, you know, I'm, I'm a big Trey Young fan. I'm a big fan of Ja and a lot of these other guys in the league. But I feel like at this current juncture, he's the guy that's going to carry the league on to the next generation and really, you know, carry that torch into the new era. Really just needs to get that, that squad around him that can, you know, perform at a high level. I just got to say, I love the direction that the NBA is heading and just the game of basketball is heading because it's it's getting to this place where it's almost positionless. And everybody can do everything. And we're seeing guys, like you said, like Luca or even like Steph, as an example, where maybe you look at their body type and their physique and you don't expect them to be able to do the things that they're doing. And they're proving that no matter how tall you are, you can still put up 30 to 50 points a game. Or, you know, there's guys on the other end, like this Victor kid that's coming up who is, I don't even know how tall he is, but he's dribbling the ball, shooting threes, taking it to the rack, defending, you know, it's it's insane. I love the way that, that the NBA is trending right now. It's cool. I'm, for me, it's like, I think KD is kind of the perfect example of that. You take a guy like KD, and if he came up like 25, 30 years ago, he'd be in the post. You know, you'd have some, some idiot coach just like, I don't care if you can handle the ball, whatever. Get in the post, back to the basket. That's all we need from you, Kevin. Like, I don't want you bringing the ball up the court. I don't want you with all these hezzy jimbos and all that stuff. No, go post up. 
So I think to your point, just the way that the league is, is shifting now and so many guys can do so much stuff. And I think it's just a testament to skill development. So many guys now do all that skill development, skill training. They work on being complete players. So it's really cool to see. All right. It's time for the second half. All right, people, we're brought to you by Caesars Sportsbook, the greatest sports betting app of all time. See, it's not just about the daily promos, odd boosts, or the hundreds of ways to wager. It's about the immortal words of Caesar himself. You bet you get with Caesars Rewards. Every bet you place on the app, no matter the outcome, earns towards exclusive perks at Caesars Rewards destinations everywhere. Hotel stays, concert tickets, bonuses, and more. Download the Caesars Sportsbook app, become a Caesars Rewards member today, and get more with every wager. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-522-4700. You brought it up a little bit. Your, your dad, Marcus Johnson, obviously played at UCLA and then played professionally. You yourself played at UCLA. But can you fill us in a little bit what that was like growing up with a dad who was a professional in the sport? And if you felt pressure to kind of reach that level? So it was, it was tough. And we always joke about this as a family. So it's my dad's, my older brother, Chris, my older brother, Chris, uh, played at UCLA, won a national championship, you know, was a all conference level player, uh, then myself. So I was basically coming after both of them and a ton of pressure. But when we were, we were coming up. So my dad suffered a neck injury, uh, in the mid eighties when he was with the Clippers. So I was probably like three or four years old when it happened. So I really didn't get to see him, you know, in his early days when he was playing with the Bucks and he was an all star and all NBA level player. So it really wasn't until I got older that I started to watch a lot of his games and just really understand the, the, the type of stuff that he was doing, especially, you know, you know, winning college player of the year coming in his, his rookie year. I think finishing second or third in rookie of the year voting, uh, being all NBA in his second year. I want to say averaging like 27 and, and 11 or 12 points per game, I mean, 27, and like 12 rebounds per game. But for me personally, yeah, I'm going to be real. It was, it was a hard situation to go walk into UCLA Poly Pavilion, see his jersey hanging up in the rafters. And just all the the pressure, you know, for a long time, a lot of my life, you know, it's funny, I was known as as Marcus's son or little Chris, who's my older brother. Like people don't even know my name. That's just how they refer to me or little Johnson or whatever. But now, you know, it's kind of for the social media stuff and just all the success I've been able to have on this side. Like everybody's like, oh, you're Josiah's dad. Like, so it's, it's, it's crazy <laughs> to see that thing flip. It kind of it makes us all crack up just to see it happen. But you know, ton of pressure, but but to his credit, he never really, I mean, he allowed us to be our own people. Never really, you know, he, if we were going to play basketball, of course, he wanted us to excel and work at the highest level. So he was a ton of coaching, very hands-on in that regard, but wanted us all to be our own men and women. So he never, you know, he never said, you need to reach the level that I reached. He really just wanted us to all be good people. We all have a bunch of di- diverse interests and in, in things that, that we like to do. So basketball was kind of the unifying thing, but he was also like, he knows I was big into entertainment and writing and producing and just fascinated by Hollywood and that side. So he put me in a lot of positions, gave me a lot of opportunity to learn that side as well. So I think I'm, I'm really a credit to him and my mother as well for just making me focus on education, focus on basketball, but have the other interests outside of basketball and know that, you know, this game will get you to a lot of places, but it's not going to last forever. So what are you going to do after the game is over and you got to figure out your life and now go out in the world and make something of yourself? Yeah, no, I love that. You definitely paved your own way. And I feel like we are seeing a lot right now of um, kids 
of greats, right? We see Sharif, we see Bronny, of course. I actually grew up watching Michael Jordan's sons. So LeBron had the LeBron James tournament and I would run the scoreboard for these teams that would come through because they'd be, there'd be some teams playing at my high school as well because it was across a Akron. And, you know, Michael Jordan's sons would come in with an entourage and the all the stands would be packed. And then you know, they, they did not make it to the league. I don't know if there was pressure behind that or that was their, their end goal was to be in that position, but you see it kind of go both ways. And then we, we had a uh, Jalen Rose on the show as well. His biological father was not in his life, but he made such a career, a basketball career for himself and was able to, to watch his biological father's tapes from afar. But that was like the the intrinsic motivation that that he used to get himself to where he was at. For for Bronny, for Sharif, for some of these kids, um, what have you seen out of them? What do you expect out of them? I think when you look at, you know, and I've got the chance to, to meet Sharif a bunch of times. He played at UCLA. I'm a big fan of Shaq. It's so tough to have to deal with that pressure. And I'm sure a lot of people were critical of his decision to leave college to go to the pros. But that was his dream. That was his vision for himself. Got a chance to check him out in summer league. You know, I think he did a good job. I think about somebody like Bronny, though. And Bronny has probably had more pressure on him than even LeBron did just because it was a different time, right? It wasn't social media and everything wasn't so visible. I think about just the way Bronny needs to move nowadays. You walk into a gym and it's a thousand cameras on your every move. You trip or stumble or get caught picking your nose or whatever the, the type of things that we were doing as kids that weren't a big deal. Nobody was going to ever know about it. You know, I think about nowadays, a kid gets dunked on, the whole game stops, all the kids <laughs> run on the court and they're all, you know, doing this over the head and stuff. Right. So just the, the the pressure and stress that these kids have to play with from that standpoint. You know, if I got dunked on back in the day, there was a 98% chance that nobody was going to film it. Like we might all talk about that story, but as time went on, everybody's going to forget about it. We're now, you know, especially in the social media cycles, this stuff comes up all the time. So just the pressure and the stress and the strain that these kids have to play under. So for Bronny, being the son of LeBron James, who in my opinion is the greatest basketball player to, to ever live, and knowing when you walk into gyms, you walk into venues, there's a lot of people that support you, obviously love you, have your back, but there's a lot of people that want to, you know, burn you or make money off you or, or find some controversial that you do so you can be, you know, the next big talking point on all these sports shows and things we see like that. So for Bronny to step up to the challenge and deliver. And again, it's so hard, you know, it's even like Michael Jordan's kids. They were both, you know, solid basketball players, but it's so hard when your dad is literally considered one of the greatest players in the world of all time. You're never really going to hit that mark. He's literally one in a trillion. That's just not a, you know, it's not a realistic number to have. And I think Bronny is not at the level of his dad yet. Time will tell if he gets to that level, but I think he's a, he's a good basketball player in his own right who have a good career playing basketball, who'll make money playing basketball. It's, it's amazing for me to see the way that the game of basketball has grown and also this next generation of players, including guys like Bronny, are now leading this forefront. I don't feel like, I feel like they're so prepared now for the mental aspect of the league that nothing will really phase them because they've literally seen it all. That's, that's what I was going to say too. It's more pressure for these kids because like you said, social media is just everywhere. You, your every move is being filmed, who you hang out with, what you post. Like if you cross somebody, if you're the person that gets dropped or dunked on. But then at the same time, it is preparing them for this big stage. And I feel like these younger kids that are coming into the NBA, they have so much confidence. And there's this weird, like, 
they still respect the greats like LeBron and Giannis and KD, but they don't fear them. I feel like like they used to, and they're not scared of being in an arena with however many thousands of people. So it's cool to see. I, I want to see how the dust settles with these these kids who grew up in the social media wave. And I feel like LaMelo's kind of that that first glance into it had a had a reality show with his family. And and we all know so much about his life. Um, but it's definitely interesting. I, I root for the kids. I, I want to see them succeed, whether it is in basketball or in something else. Like you and I both parlayed our careers from playing the sport to being adjacent to the sport and are able to impact in that way. I want to get to what you're doing now. You started off kind of in traditional media, correct me if I'm wrong, with like no. Fox Sports, NFL Network. You were on the producing side. Now you're you're a host, you're a content creator. How did No Chill come about with Gilbert? Uh, so they were looking for a new uh, co-host for Gil. And it's funny, I've known Gil a long time. So, you know, we, bo- we both played in the Valley. He was a year older than me. Uh, he was at Grand High School. It was out of school called Montclair Prep. So even before I got on the show, uh, like during the pandemic, I was doing a lot of exercise. So I would go run around the neighborhood. I would see Gil driving in his Mercedes. We kind of give each other the nod. Like, you know, definitely respected each other, but didn't really have like a close relationship. Had a lot of close mutual friends that we knew just from the Valley and stuff like that. So then opportunity presented itself. They were looking for a new co-host. Me and him just hit it off. I think there was just a, a ton of chemistry. I'm, I'm a big fan of Gil, what his show represents and what he means to the, the sport of basketball. But being able to work with Gil and actually just understand the basketball genius and the basketball Savani is and just the mind he has for the game. And it's funny, man, I tell Gil all the time, like I'll be walking around places now, random places like at Coachella or in the airport or just like in the lobby of a hotel and people be staring at me and I'm always just like damn this dude want to fight me like does he know me do I own money and they'll just be like man I love no chill man you know tell Gil this or tell Gil that so just to see the impact that he has on the basketball community how much people love Gil and just love his game and you know Gil's kind of like the counterculture to the stuff you see on traditional networks right and he doesn't care and that's the best part about it so he's going to say whatever's on his mind it may be a controversial opinion at times, but he's the type of human being. He doesn't care about trolls. Like he gets excited by trolls. So he's got a ton of respect and love for these guys in the league. So if he's talking trash or having a good time, we're just bantering. But ultimately, like I remember one time, uh, during the finals, Draymond wasn't playing that well. Gil had kind of made some comments and Gil felt like, you know, he, he kind of insulted Draymond. So he sent Draymond a DM, you know, kind of just explaining himself. Then we're all shooting a live show. Literally like two minutes after the game ends, Gil gets a, a response back from Draymond. But I think that just shows the level of respect that guys have for Gil in his contributions to the game. So for me to get that opportunity to work on the show, like I, I wake up every day pinching myself, like just to be able to to sit with Gil and Nick Young and some of the guys we get come through there. And Gil's unfiltered. He's always going to keep it real. So I think it's just been a blessing for me to be able to, to have the opportunity to work with Gil on No Chill. I, I think that that's one thing that makes your show successful, though, is because there is this transparency and this authenticity that comes from all of you, right? So you you know that you didn't play pro, but you did play at a high level at UCLA, but you're not going to act like you know everything. And I think that that's where this new media and this old media differ in a way, right? There's yeah. a lot of people in old media who are just talking at you. You are having a conversation with the people that you're sitting with and you guys are authentically being yourselves. If you don't know something, you're not acting like you do, you know? And that's yeah. something that I think is great about your show. You brought up Draymond 
And he also has his podcast, but we're seeing a lot of these other athletes kind of get into the space. We have JJ Reddick, obviously, uh, Patrick Beverly, his new show, which was highly anticipated. Which athletes are your favorites to listen to? Or are you most excited about that they are, are kind of entering into this space? I mean, I think all the usual suspects. I love Draymond just, again, for the unique perspective. And I feel like a lot of times, you know, and this is no knock to old media, traditional media, whatever you want to call it. But a lot of times people don't necessarily know what they're watching or they begin to assume things and they're not in those huddles. They're not in the locker rooms. They don't understand what players' responsibilities are, what they're supposed to be doing on the court. So they ask questions from a a perspective that isn't really in the know. And I feel like having guys like Draymond give the ability to be candid, be honest, be upfront. Hey, I've been playing terrible. This is what I need to do to fix it. Or I was shook during this game or whatever it may be. A lot of time you paint these guys up like they're, they're, you build them up like they're larger than life and they're superhuman. Like, no, everybody deals with things, right? Everybody has mental health struggles. Everybody has issues. Everybody has stuff off the court that they need to address or deal with while they're playing a season. So it's not like they're just playing in this vacuum where they just go out, get to go out and play basketball. They have to deal with life as well. So, I mean, Draymond has done a phenomenal job. I love his pod. I love his perspective. JJ Reddick, again, another guy. JJ straight shooter. I think JJ really, you know, is a is a is a is a whiz at this space and has a very very bright future. Matt Stack, uh, you know, me and Matt were teammates at UCLA, so to just see Matt's growth, uh, development, evolution from a college player to who he is now and all the amazing stuff he's doing, I think Stack, him and Stack's perspective on life and also just two guys that kind of had these reputation for being bad boys, but so knowledgeable about the game and have the ability, which you see and is reflected on the level of guests they can get on the show how much respect that other guys around the league, current or former players have for these guys to be able to come and talk and be open. But ultimately, to your point, like you have to be yourself. Like you try to be somebody else, you're never going to be successful because nobody can be you as good as you can be you. Exactly. Josiah, we are reaching the end of the game, so I have some buzzer beaters for you. Oh, look at these segments. I love it. (laughs) All right. What is the best game that you've ever been courtside for? It could also be field side. It could be any sport, but you are right there in the action. So this, so best game, and this is not going to be a game that anybody's going to care about, but uh, I want to say it was like 92 CIF playoffs. My older brother, Chris, was at Crenshaw. They were playing Modern Day, who had Miles Simon at that point. Uh, uh, Crenshaw basically files Modern Day with like two seconds to go. Miles Simon misses a free throw. Crenshaw races down the court. My brother hits a game-winning finger roll at the buzzer, you know, in the sports arena, which is no longer with us. But just what that game represented, Crenshaw, which was this uh, school in the hood versus modern-day private schools, recruiting players, had all the best talent in Orange County. It was like the showdown, you know, the showdown for the championship. My brother hit the finger roll. So definitely think that game. Uh, other game, and it wasn't necessarily a good game, but UCLA's 95 championship game against Arkansas. Got to be in attendance at that. Got to go hang in the locker room with them after the game. Actually had a piece of the net, but I was like 14 at the time or 13 at the time. Cool. And ended up losing. Had it in my wallet. Like, wallet ended up getting stolen, and I'll never forgive the person who stole oh, it. Oh, no. Wait spent the rest second. of my life trying to hunt them down. Uh, so if I find you, if you have that piece of net, hope you're taking care of it. 
And if I find you, it's going to be some Liam Neeson and Taken type of interactions going on. I was like, wait a second. You have a Twitter platform now. You know how Twitter can be detectives. You need to let yeah. the people know. But they'll so pack me up. It. If, if, <laughs> like somebody stole my net, they'll be like, oh, you got your net stolen, Buster? Like, you know, you know Twitter's response. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so who is one person dead or alive that you would love to sit courtside with? Ooh, this is a great question. I don't know. I'd say probably like Tupac just because I feel like depending on the game, he'd be talking a lot of trash, having a good time, and I think we'd have a, a good, fun time at the game. Yeah. What is one event in history that you would have loved to have been courtside for? It could be a sporting event or other. Oh, 2016 Game 7 uh, in the Bay to watch LeBron defeat the greatest regular season team in NBA history, fulfill <laughs> the prophecy, uh, you know, come back from down 3-1, and, but I'm glad I wasn't at that game because if I was at that game, I don't know if I'd be alive right now because, you know, the Oakland contingent, you know, I would have been talking so much trash and going so crazy. I don't think I would have made it back to L.A. So crazy. So big LeBron fan. Most definitely. Josiah, thank you so much for coming on the Courtside Club. Let everybody know where they can find you on your social platforms and also what they should be on the lookout for. Honestly, I don't want y'all to find me because a lot of you people are mean out there nowadays and you need some some house training and management. But if you want to, uh, King Josiah 54 on uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, working on a bunch of stuff, did a show with Ava DuVernay called Cherish the Day. So that was a great, great project opportunity doing out of pocket with the good folks at Wave, doing No Chill with Gilbert Arenas, doing uh, some stuff with Showtime Basketball as well. So catch me on some of their shows and platforms and doing some social stuff for them. And then I got a couple other things in the work, waiting for these bags to really touch down. Me and Gil got a, a pretty solid announcement coming soon. We got some great stuff in the work. So just be on the lookout for all that. Obviously, I'll be you know flooding your timeline with all that information. So I appreciate you. And if you guys have any information about the piece of net in the wallet, let us know. <laughs> I missed that net. Okay, so my one piece of advice for you would be to use your Twitter followers and activate them to help you find these things that might be the power I of social you. media anyway just i thank you so much <laughs> thank you for having me